Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now up first here, Omicron. How it's hitting our holiday season here in BC. On Christmas Eve, our provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, had this to say on closing bars and nightclubs. We will be closing bars and nightclubs for this short period of time. We know that those are settings where people socialize, where um, that uh, right now, those are risky settings, especially for the demographic that we're talking about, where we're seeing widespread transmission. Okay, so yet again, New Year's Eve fundamentally cancelled as we have known it to be historically. And just before, now we head across the pond to connect with my Unspun podcast partner and fellow CKNW fill-in host, George Affleck, I want to give you a glimpse of how differently things are being handled in the UK. Here's the health secretary there being interviewed by the newspaper The Times. There will be no further measures uh, before the new year. Uh, We won't be uh, taking any further measures. Of course, people uh, should remain cautious uh, as as we approach New Year celebrations and, you know, take a lateral flow test. That makes sense. Celebrate outside if you can. Have some ventilation indoors if you can. So that is Sajid Javid, the UK Health Secretary. Uh, Certainly fascinating to hear uh, from him on the whys and hows. And I just want to play one more clip before we get to George, because the UK Health Secretary really dives in on why this is the right call for them there. We are very, very focused on vaccinations. Our antivirals program has started. Uh, As the UK, we now have almost 5 million courses of antivirals. That's more per head than any other country in Europe. We are testing more than any country in Europe, and that helps us to keep us safe. So vaccinations, antivirals, testing regime, and and cautious behaviour that we're seeing people's changing in, in habits, as we've seen over Christmas. This will all help to limit spread. So people are still taking some measures, it sounds like, from that. Well, let's find out from somebody who's on the ground there. George Affleck, I'm so grateful for you taking time out of your vacation there with family to uh, check in with us here. How are you? I can't escape you, Julie. I just can't. I just can't <laughs> go can a couple of weeks without you. <laughs> it's, so uh, it's, yeah, it's different. I mean, the, the, the sum up of the data there or some of the stuff you heard there is interesting. And it's on the ground. It's, it's a whole different experience, too. So, okay, take us through what it was like getting there in the first place, because you've been there for a while. You didn't just take off when when everybody said, hey, don't travel. You were already there. Yeah, I left before uh, everything really went crazy. Um, And, you know, traveling in general, if anybody has traveled, is is a complicated process. And frankly, sometimes you ask yourself whether it's worth it or not, because uh, especially if you're traveling with kids, the number of tests you have to do, the amount of money you have to spend, the stress of going through the whole airport process and just, just, you know, like checking in is uh, not a 15 minute process. It's an hour and a half long process now. Um, so those kinds of things are always take the fun out of travel. But once you get on a plane, you're kind of like, all right, I'm going somewhere. Uh, you know, you're masked up and all those things. So, uh, you know, the travel part was, it is what it is. I think everybody who's traveled understands it, but, but getting here was, was interesting because they were well into the, into the into this new uh, uh, variant um, about two or three weeks ahead of uh, Vancouver, so you certainly felt it on the ground here. So, as, 
alongside that, correct me if I'm wrong, I know there are more than one um, type of vaccine being used in the UK, Mm -hmm. but is it not predominantly AstraZeneca? Yeah, it's interesting. So what happened as soon as that Soon after I arrived, uh, Boris Johnson, and of course they make national decisions here as opposed to regional, but all of Wales and Scotland and Ireland and in England each make their own decisions. Uh, there was a, because the country is mostly AstraZeneca, um, they understood clearly based on the science that there was an urgent ma- need to get the booster uh, because the efficacy of uh, AstraZeneca with this variant is very, very low, like 50 to 60 percent. So um, they needed to get that booster going, and um, and they, as they have in Vancouver or in BC, as you know, anybody with AstraZeneca, like myself, uh, got their booster first. Um, so uh, he made a, an announcement soon after I arrived here, uh, saying immediate action on this. Everybody needs to get the booster across the country, 18 and up. Go, 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 go! Just line, get get in the queue, get your booster as fast as possible. And so they just really, really ramped up the booster program. Uh, and and continue to do that and, and and it's you know most everybody I know here has had the booster everybody who uh, every family member I, I have met a person who hasn't had the booster now. Now is it um, full on vaccine mandate vaccine passports? What does it look like no, to move around? No. When you, are you going to the pub? You're just like hey, we're going to the pub. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Um, it's pretty normal. Uh, England itself, uh, the UK, uh, you know, as I said, Wales and Scotland and Ireland have made different decisions, and they're more similar to what we have in British Columbia. Um, but uh, the UK or England uh, have decided, as you heard in your clips there, to keep it keep it kind of cool and just kind of you know see how things pan out. Part of this is politics. Boris Johnson is not doing well. He made a decision last Christmas to lock down just before Christmas, and people were mad. And so he didn't want to do that again. That's a political decision for sure. Uh, but they're also kind of looking at it, and they're seeing the numbers that we're seeing right now where uh, in January last year, the peak of that uh, the pandemic in January, you were seeing uh, you know, the numbers now with this new peak is about 25% of, of the people are in hospital as far as the volume goes. So you're not seeing hospitalization to the level they were at the last biggest peak, which was last January. Um, and so I think there is some science data kind of that's showing that that might be not be, you know, that this might not be as, as dangerous. So obviously, it's a risk politically. It's a risk uh, for him to make a decision like this. This was, you know, unlike in BC, uh, where we have Bonnie Henry kind of tells us what to do. Uh, I think this decision quite often here are political. Um, so it's, you know, that the pubs are open, the bars are open, the restaurants are open. Uh, but they're, they're definitely impacted. You heard, as a clip said, people make their own decisions. And that's what they've said. You be responsible. So um, people are making their own decisions about whether to, to, to go and, and put themselves at risk to catch the, this, this variant. Jody Benson for Mike Smith. Glad to have you along. And we're with George Affleck, who typically I'm speaking to. He's just down the road from us. But no, no, he is across the pond from us right now, visiting family in the UK and has been there since before we were told not to travel abroad. And George, in the prior segment, you were talking about, you know, the testing, the getting through the airport, Mm -hmm. going through security, getting on the plane, flying pretty typical, uh, feeling pretty safe, landing in the UK and the vibe of what it's like there in terms of openness like is everybody wearing a mask are people being socially distanced or is it everybody's vaccinated so they're feeling a little bit um, more in tune with being closer to one another because the case counts would the daily case counts would would speak to the latter being the truth what is it 128,685 new cases yesterday in the UK yeah the the masks are full-on I'm in the south of England so it varies depending on where you are 
Uh, but social right. distancing, definitely not a thing here. They don't really care. You stand in a lineup, you're standing, people are like right on top of you and you're like, ooh. Um, ooh. So I find that a bit awkward. But, you know, when I went for lunch today at a pub, pub lunch, pretty quiet. Um, and it was interesting. I, saw, I spoke to the server and she was talking about the Christmas bookings. So again, no regulations here, no restrictions uh, like we see in British Columbia. But still she had, she said, well, they had about, she went, so we had 120 bookings uh, prior to Christmas, I guess for Christmas Eve or whatever day it was. Uh, they lost half of those bookings um, and for three reasons, she said. One was people had COVID, they had caught it. Um, others were had been near somebody who had caught COVID. And others, the other portion was just they didn't feel comfortable. So there were three, right. so she lost half her bookings for those three reasons. Everybody I know here, pretty much, like 90% of the people I know here have had COVID. Uh, either they've had it in the past year or in the last couple of months. Uh, they, it just seemed to dominate here. Uh, and, of course, they have home testing kits here that we don't have in British Columbia the way other places do. And I'm looking at a pile of them right here in this house, you know, that we have. And before you go out, to, you know, for example, if you're going to go out for a dinner at a friend's house, everybody is sort of does these tests before they head out the door. And, you know, it's kind of a thing you do here. You get these kits, you do your tests before you go out for dinner and meet your friends to make sure you're negative. If you're positive, you don't go to dinner. And it's become a way of life. It's kind of how they now behave. There's this sort of assumption that this is the new normal, and that's the way we have to live. And that's kind of what Boris Johnson, the prime minister of this country, is kind of saying. We've got to learn to live with this. And I think it might, uh, his decisions, they're sort of saying, might dom- help them dominate the market as far as the economy against other European countries who have gone into more serious lockdown now. Can you walk me through as somebody, pardon my novice for those listening who have done rapid tests, I have never done a test of any kind uh, for mm-hmm. COVID-19. What is it like? Like when, when you're like, okay, guys, we're getting ready to go out. We're 30 minutes out. Mm-hmm. So we got to do our, our rapid test. What does that look like? Yeah, so a couple of nose swabs. You drop the in a little liquid thin and drop it into this little white sort of container thing. Uh, and it goes positive, negative. And, uh, and within the five minutes, you get your results. Um, it, accuracy is around 80%, they say, 80 to 90%. Right. So, um, you know, it's not foolproof, but it's enough for you to feel comfortable about whether you go out or not. Um, so it's sort of the standard now. They're running out of kits, though, because of the, the, the sheer you know, volume of people. Volume. Uh, and, and then the hospitals, they're all facing the same kind of challenges. You know, workers, you know, we're talking about airlines canceling. Will I be able to get home on New Year's Eve? I don't know. Um, but certainly Oops. the hospital workers, as you know, and, and this case, anywhere is the case is, those essential workers, if they get COVID, that's when problems. And, and you know, the, the, the conversation now is to reduce to five days. There are seven days right now. And I, I would bet that they'll probably go to a five-day uh, stretch for if you catch COVID. And, and then you have to quarantine for five days, not seven or what it used to be, two weeks before, 12 days. Yeah. Um, eventually, yeah. it'll be zero days because, you know, we're all going to get COVID. Well, we're we're hearing that here in BC that the the isolation window from your test positive to mm-hmm. your sort of freedom date is now seven days if fully immunized and ten days if uh, unvaccinated. So we are seeing that shift a little bit, particularly right. with Omicron and how it how it seems to work. When mm-hmm. it comes to uh, hospitalizations and mortality rates, and as you said, you mentioned healthcare workers. Obviously, they're stressed uh, around mm-hmm. the globe. What what is what is that trajectory like when watching case numbers there? Is anybody worried about what's happening in hospitals there? Is the conversation that's similar to hear about the exhaustion level for frontline healthcare workers? 
Uh, it's a little similar as far as, you know, that people talk about, we get a little tired of talking about COVID, everybody's sort of like, oh, tired of this. But you don't see the yeah. news cycle as heavy here as you do back home. People aren't, I don't think here are as obsessed with it as they, as they are back in, in British Columbia. Uh, they don't, uh, I don't hear a lot about exhaustion of healthcare workers. Of course, it, it's had, I've seen some stuff and read some stuff, but not in the way we hear it constantly in, in British Columbia. I think it's really, people here have come to the, to the, point where they're sort of saying this is the new normal. I think it's more like what you're seeing in the States, but the vaccinations are much higher here than the States. But uh, you're sort of seeing this uh, acceptance of new normal. And I think that's where, you know, British Columbia, and you hear this, this is becoming a debate. You see it in that back home where you are. Uh, people are sort of going, okay, you know what, you know, is this, are, do we need to start assuming that we're going to get this and this new variant on the strong. And so it's a, it's a, it's a tough political decision to make um, to not do anything and let it ride it, you know, run its course. Uh, it's kind of where this is, seems to be heading, but we of course don't have the science yet. We don't have enough data, but some of the data we're seeing from South Africa, some of the data we're seeing here already shows that it's not overwhelming the healthcare system that I have seen reported at all yet here. Um, it's certainly inundating the system, but it's not overwhelming it yet. And uh, but you know that in two or three weeks that might change. They're, they're looking at you know mid January as a, as a peak. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And it doesn't look like Boris Johnson is going to create restrictions. He might tighten things up a little bit after New Year's, but generally I think he's looking at it going. I think we're okay. It is really fascinating to see what is happening in the UK in a first-hand experience with you, George, because it really feels as though it is a precursor as this Omicron moves around the globe. And certainly we're watching it uh, move across Canada with some of the case numbers we're seeing in, in, in Quebec and in Ontario and measures associated with that and, and uh-huh. trying to sort of safeguard ourselves and our healthcare system. As you're speaking, in my mind, it is less about the case numbers and more about the hospitalization numbers that we're all shifting to and the realization Mm -hmm. that we're all trying to protect those who are most vulnerable by taking those rapid tests. Hopefully we'll be seeing some of those uh, Mm -hmm. creep into our day-to-day here in BC. It sounds like that's a a big piece of this. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're going to see a senior person, like anybody who's older, who has uh, any kind of vulnerabilities health-wise, then you take the test. But it just seems like everybody does these tests before they go out to anything that's a group setting. Uh, except for restaurants and stuff where you, you just basically go to these restaurants and sit down and have a beer like you, or a pub like you do normally. And, and there's no plexiglass or anything like that here. I've noticed that too. None, none of that exists. Huh. Weird. Yeah. Anyways, I appreciate your perspective on this. It's so wild. It just seems so far away. Well, we're looking forward <laughs> to you coming back. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with you on Unspun Podcast next week at the Orca.ca. George Affleck, thank you. Thanks. See you later. Have a happy, happy new year. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. Glad to have you along. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? That's the question for our buzz line today. Weigh in on this, will you? 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. New Year's resolutions. Do you make them? I've often said this is probably my sixth year filling in over the holiday uh, window. And every year I say the same thing. My New Year 
is actually the end of summer. Labor Day is my new year. That's when I resolve to, you know, keep moving and doing the things that the spring and summer brought to me. And as we get, you know, cooler and darker and wetter and all of the things that winter can bring. And certainly during COVID-19, the darker uh, indoor winters have been exponentially more difficult as we have been told to stay away from others. Uh, Luckily on the South coast, up until a polar vortex, we are able to get outside and move. So keeping that resolution to keep fit and keep moving is pretty straightforward. Would that be a resolution or is that just a lifestyle choice? There's something more to this question that I'm asking here because our next guest is checking in on the resolutions that perhaps come with significant deprivation, uh, dry January, uh, detox teas and juice cleanses, the things that have been made popular on TikTok or Goop or uh, just by friends talking to friends and stopping in at a health food store and maybe reading the box that says this is going to change your life in one week or less. Oftentimes, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Uh, What we know for sure is that nutrition is at the root of feeling great. And the holistic nutritionist that we go to is the one at nourished.ca. Alyssa Bowman joins me on the line. Good to talk with you, Alyssa. Uh, Happy holidays to you as we look ahead to the new year. Thank you. You too. Great to be here. And it's funny, I'm listening to you. And I feel like you and I had this exact same conversation about a year ago today. Mm-hmm. Thinking we do something, sim- thinking something will change. Thinking, you know, there's a magic bullet out there that's going to make me healthier. It's going to make me have more energy. It's going to make me stronger. There's just that magic bullet. Well, I'm here to say, the magic bullet doesn't exist. Right, it just does not. So let's unpack that in in a couple of sort of parcels, so so people can understand. And let's start with the weight loss piece because Nourish.ca is is about you know being veggie centric, being healthy, lifestyle changes, and what have you. We'll get into that, but just mm-hmm. specific to those people who have just come through. There are many people in COVID nineteen and and isolation and and eating your feelings. I mean, there's a lot that's just been like to hell with it. I'm going to eat the entire tub of ice cream and not um, be mindful in in what I'm doing. But now I want to correct my behavior. So I'm going to do the celery juice cleanse or one of these detox drinks that are being sold as the thing. Are these harmful? These are actually very harmful. They're dangerous. They're bad for your gut. They're bad for your metabolism. And a lot of the things that they, you know, they promote actually backfire. So when we restrict our calories to, I think these juice cleanses and these juice teas can be as little as between 600 and 800 calories a day. That's for, for an average woman and an average man, that is a dangerously small amount of calories to intake. So if you're trying to lose weight, you know, you think, okay, let me restrict my calories. Let me eat as little as possible. You're actually doing more damage in the long run because what you're doing is you're slowing down your metabolism. You're making your organs inside like really slow and sluggish. And, you know, these detox cleanses, they're only, you know, three to five to a week long. What happens when you go off of them? Then you shock your system and you go back eating, quote unquote, the way, you know, you normally ate. The weight just comes back double and so much faster that you even feel worse. So these detox cleanses or the juice cleanses, I mean, I understand if someone wants to do a juice cleanse for like three days to kind of kickstart their health to try to then, you know, move into a more healthier lifestyle. I would say three days for a juice cleanse and, and eating a little bit is, is the maximum I would do on these. 
Right. So if you're doing a juice cleanse, like you just explained, the the three-day window of all of my calories are going to come from a nutritious drink that I have three or four of a day, that's not water and cayenne and lemon juice and a little dollop of honey. I mean, that, that master yeah. cleanse, I watched somebody in, in Toronto do that, and he did it. And, and he certainly didn't need to lose an ounce, but for whatever reason, he got obsessed with doing this master cleanse and he kept elongating and elongating. He's like, I'm feeling like I'm working at a higher level. And all I could think of was, oh my God, your heart though, or your, you know, your nervous system must be at, at like fight or flight level with just so little to work from. What can happen if we deprive ourselves of calories, as you mentioned that I've seen some that are three to 500 calories a day, the people that are doing intermittent fasting, which is another piece of this, uh, you know, because there are, are, are there, I guess, is my question, are there safer ways of doing some of these things um, with moderation, as opposed to the extreme wanting to jolt ourselves in January? Yeah, with moderation, with under a nutritionist or a dietitian, if it's guided and it's led and you have a certain program, by all means, it could be done in a healthy way, including food within it. But these detox cleanses, as I said, are just really bad for you. They actually backfire. And then what happens is, is when you go back to, again, as I said before, your normal way of eating, your body is shocked and your metabolism is all out of whack. Your energy levels are up and down. Your digestion may be all out of sorts. I mean, when you go back to eating you know, your normal way, you could see bloating, you could see cramping, you can see diarrhea. I mean, and these are just symptoms of actually what's going on inside of your body. So if someone is thinking about doing one of these cleanses or detox cleanses, I would definitely make sure you're doing it with guidance and, and, and eating as well. You know, eating a very planned out diet in addition to drinking into these calories. I mean, some of these, like the juice cleanses, they are nutrient rich. However, you're not getting any fiber in it. So it's going to mess mm. up your digestive system because, you know, we need fiber to keep us full and we need fiber to eliminate. And when you're just drinking in nutrients, which is great, um, but you have no fiber. So maybe we need to add in some fiber into the diet, too, to get your digestive working properly. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. We're talking about New Year's resolutions and juice cleanses and detoxes and dry January and I'm not going to eat any of my favorite foods for the next month. I am going to never have coffee again. All of the things that people <laughs> pile on themselves here. And you know what, Alyssa, one, our buzzline question today, I want to make sure people are aware. Our buzzline question is actually around New, New Year's resolutions. Do you make them? Call us and leave a voice message. 604-331-2899. 604-331-2899. Buzz. Uh, I'm not a New Year's resolution person. I do like the flip of the calendar to a new year for sure, uh, particularly in the last couple of years. Thank you very much, COVID nineteen. Uh, how are you when it comes to resolutions, Alyssa? How do you how do you uh, process the the flipping of the calendar? Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm going to pose it right back to all our listeners. I set intentions, so I'm going to ask everybody, what is it that you want to focus on this year? So I make it more about what you want to bring into your life as opposed to, 
I have to lose weight. I need more energy. What is it that you want to bring into your life and focus on on this year? Is it you want to find exercise that works for you? You want to lose the weight? Uh, You want to cut back a bit on your drinking? You want to focus on your health and eating nutrient-dense foods? You want to eat less meat, maybe add in more plants? You know, you want to cut back on your takeout? You want to drink more water. I mean, the list, as you know, can goes on and on and on. So I challenge everybody. Instead of, like, throwing out the big resolution is, I'm going to lose my 50 pounds this year, or I'm going to go to the gym every single day this year. These are, these are most likely unrealistic goals that we have in mind. And then we set ourselves up for not just something that's not going to work out, but then we get upset with ourselves because we don't meet these goals. So my question is, pick one thing. Maybe two things. Make it a sustainable goal. I want to add in exercise three times a week, coming from someone that doesn't exercise at all. Or I want to start eating healthier. Maybe that means eating more salad. You know, instead of the all or nothing approach, let's look at our goals day by day so we can get to them in a more sustainable way. I think you're an amazing follow on social media as well. The way you uh, reiterate the need for focused attention on oneself. So many of us, and you're a mother, you have three beautiful daughters. You have Mm -hmm. a very busy lifestyle, a very busy household. Uh, You know, you're navigating teenagers. uh, And and that that can get stressful in its own right. And yet there Mm -hmm. you are making time for yourself. And I'm always impressed with your ability to carve that time out. And, and some people be like, yeah, good for you, Alyssa. I don't have time in my day. And then if somebody follows you on social media, they'll see just how you make time, particularly in the very early morning hours. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, that is my time. And if I don't have that time, I can't give to my family. So I wake up early and I fit in the things that I know I need to do to keep my mental baseline. So that's a bit of meditation in the morning and that's a daily yoga practice. And I do that because it makes me feel good and it makes me a better person um, and it makes me show up for myself so I can show up for everybody else. And, you know, I'm not a morning person, but I've made myself a morning person because it makes me feel good. So I want to do the things that make me feel good. So, you know, a a great way to start is ask yourself, what makes you feel your best, right? So you can go into this new year, maybe asking yourself, what, what do you, what do I want to bring in that makes me feel even better? And it, as I said, it doesn't have to be, you know, this all or nothing thing. If you don't have the time to exercise, Everybody has the time to take the stairs. If you don't have the time to, you know, get your cardio in, you have a five-minute break that you can add in some push-ups or add in some jumping jacks. It's the small, it's the very small yet daily consistent changes that lead to a bigger lifestyle change. We have this vision of wellness, sitting cross-legged, um, meditating and looking out into, uh, into a mountain range. Everybody's vision of wellness and everybody's own personal definition is very different. And I think it's really important, especially as we flip the calendar and we start a new year, to start it right and think about the small little changes that we can do into our day, into our diet, into our exercise regime, into our sleep patterns that we can, you know, set ourselves up to make us feel even better. Because when you start to feel good, you want to continue to feel good. It's a very fabulous cyclical uh, cycle. 
I love that. And it's very important to uh, key in on what you just said right there. Once you start, and it doesn't need, it's almost detrimental to start after midnight on, you know, January 1st morning of, because there's a lot of weight attached to the, the big swooping resolution statement, but you constantly in your nourish.ca plan point out that it starts with your very next food decision. And one of the things that you uh, mentioned to me and, I, and I've written about because I, I'm, I'm actually putting it into practice myself, while I don't do dry January, I've found that moderation um, is, is key for me. But also I was starting to pay greater attention to how, how I felt in a morning after maybe having a little bit more of an indulgent night before. Maybe that glass of bubbly that I'm like, sure, I'll have one more. And then I wake up in the morning and I don't really feel that great. So even out on celebratory uh, moments with friends or family, I would pause on that yeah, sure, I'll have another. And instead, I replaced it with a glass of water. And then I went back and had the other. And and it changed so significantly. I'm hooked. It's like, wow, I don't need dry January because I want to just make this who I am moving forward. My choice, no judgment on others. And there's there's power within that, I think. It's again, it's those small daily changes that you can insert into your already existing lifestyle. And they make the most powerful impact like having a glass of water before your second glass of champagne, like adding in more greens into your diet, like eating less processed food, maybe just maybe skipping that snack and bringing an apple instead. It's these things that we can do that are don't cost a lot of money. You don't have to subscribe to this all or nothing mentality, but you can do it. You can move your body 10 minutes because you don't have that 45 minute to do the class. You can make these small little changes and kind of just insert them into your life. And they're little tweaks that really help you notice the difference in how you feel. Okay. And one of the things for the people who are like, I don't like vegetables. I don't, I don't like vegetables. Your go-go juice is the answer to that. Cause if you insert one thing into, you'll feel better. You'll, it, you, the digestion improvement, like I'm a convert with that as well. Simple, digestion, tasty, wh- easy. digestion. You, you brought it to me in jars when we would be able to do these segments in person and I would drink them and immediately be my best self. Energized. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I would be yeah. energized and it's energized. not science. It's not in a box. It's not in a box, and it's something that everybody can do. You throw some greens into a blender. You throw a lemon, a spinach. The recipe is on my site. Don't want to waste time talking about that, but go to my site and get the recipe and try my green go-go juice. I give you one week. I have had not one person ever say they couldn't do it, and once you get on it, you are hooked because the results, they you feel amazing. I mean, you feel the results. You have better digestion, better elimination, your energy is skyrocketing, you have glowing skin, you have that spring in your step. I mean, we're talking about not having these magic bullets in a box. There is no magic bullet. But adding in greens into your day, if I had to pick one thing that helps anybody, adding more greens into your day, oh, and daily movement, (laughs) sorry, two things. Yeah, no, two things, that fair. Yeah, those are the things that will increase your vitality. And isn't that what everybody wants when you think about flipping the calendar? What do we want for this new year? We want to feel more vital. We want to feel better. We want to feel our best. 
Yeah, we want to feel our best. And you can do that by uh, just adding a little green to your life. Even my dogs are celebrating you. Work from home here. Uh, Alyssa (laughs) Bowman, holistic nutritionist. uh, Nourished.ca is where you can find out more on uh, the green go-go juice that I highly recommend when people say, oh my gosh, your skin looks so great. I say, I blame Alyssa Bowman for that in a very, very good way. Thanks for doing this, Alyssa, as always. We appreciate you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good luck with your resolution, your intentions. My room warms up better by me turning on my little toaster oven and opening it and leaving it open for 10 minutes than the radiator does on all day. Can you imagine heating your room with a toaster oven? David Brabner, a regal tenant uh, there, trying to heat his SRO room with a toaster oven. That is the reality for not just one, but many Vancouver residents living below the poverty line at single-room occupancy hotels here in the city. It has many up in arms. Certainly, we have been covering it here on CKNW. John Jang did an interview with someone who had to hide uh, their identity for fears of being kicked out. Ramina Dea also has been all over this story. Listen to, uh, this is actually Saul Schwebs, a Vancouver chief building official, talking about how little power the city actually has. Have a listen. The authorities that the city have are dictated by the bylaws that, that are in place, right? We, and the bylaws, we're doing everything we can to change the bylaws then. This just keeps going on over and over and over again. That's always on the table. I mean, we're, yeah, um, that's certainly a possibility. So much frustration surrounding what we're seeing in terms of suffering. This cold weather in Vancouver impacts our most vulnerable to a huge degree. Uh, We did reach out to the mayor. We asked for Mayor Kennedy Stewart if he could come on and and talk about this with us. He is not available. He's monitoring the situation was uh, the exact uh, quote in the decline that we received. Uh, Put a call out to Vancouver City Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young and she said, absolutely, I will join you. And she does that right now. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Good morning, Jody. Thanks for having me. Frustrated people, boy, oh boy, with what is happening with regard to uh, these SROs. Can you give us a little bit of perspective as to what you see happening here? Yeah, what I see happening is I understand the reports are that the uh, heat uh, failed as of Christmas Day. City staff say they were advised two days later on December 27th. Um, and then they accepted uh, comments from the building uh, managers that the situation had been fixed. However, I was hearing reports that residents were saying that the heat was still not back on um, or that it might be in some rooms and not in others. And so I pushed back on that with city staff and said, have we actually verified independently that the heat is back on? Um, and that was the question that I had. The building inspectors went in on Monday and we did discover that, uh, no, that wasn't accurate when the building manager said that the heat was back on. In fact, it had not been completely fixed. So there were people that had still continued to suffer during that period. And that is just not acceptable. What are the steps that the city can take with regard to this, which feels like a systemic problem with these SROs? Yeah, the, it, it is challenging in terms of how much teeth the city has. There's something called a standards of maintenance bylaw number 5462, and it essentially says that all systems, electrical and heating in all city buildings, buildings in the city, I should say, need to be maintained, that heat needs to be able to be on in each room at 22 degrees. Um, and clearly that's a fail here. If that doesn't happen and there's an infraction, um, then they can be cited in order um, that they need to fix that. The challenge is that uh, then the clock starts ticking and meanwhile people are suffering and a council can only order after 60 days um, if the building owner is not doing those repairs that the repairs are carried out at the city's expense and moved forward. So that's a huge gap 
um, well, a problem is there. And I, I think that the fines, which started $250 a day, can go up to a maximum of $10,000, um, are not severe enough um, in order to kind of provide that impetus um, and that pressure point for people to have some urgency and fix their buildings and keep them in good shape. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be enough of a, of a penalty in place in order to make it urgent for those who have the power to fix what is clearly broken. Also of concern through our reporting, uh, Julia Foy and I were speaking about this yesterday from Global BC, Ramina Dea running into this as well. People within these SROs, people who are paying a big chunk of what they get per month, like $750 for one of these rooms uh, that has no heat. Um and, and yet they're being told by the owners or by the managers, whomever it might be, to not talk to the media, to not speak to the city, to not complain about what's going on there. That's troubling as well, is it not? Yeah, it's hugely troubling. And I've been in touch with your colleagues, Julia and Romina, and I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that often these are the most vulnerable folks in the city that don't have a voice, and they are really scared of the consequences that they may be evicted or they may suffer other consequences from building management if they speak up. Um, And so that's why you typically sometimes will have advocates speaking for them because they Mm -hmm. are not able to have their own voice. And that's why I really wanted to call it out. I saw that, uh, you know, the mayor tweeted out and said, oh, it's fine. City staff report that the heat's back on. And I I didn't buy that. And as I said earlier, I pushed back and I said, well, you know, we're hearing from residents and friends of residents. That's not true. Um, And it wasn't. And so I think it's really, really important um, that we all stand up for these folks um, and we believe them. Um, and not the owners of these buildings who have been often remiss. You know, we're talking about the Zahodas in this case, they own the Regal. They also own the region of the Belmarle that the city moved to condemn um, and expropriate in the downtown east side. Sarah, I hope this doesn't put you on the spot. Do you speak with the mayor? Do you speak with Mayor Kennedy Stewart? Or are you are you feeling as though the, that as many people are, are speaking out about, it feels a little that he is missing in action on what is an urgent matter in his city? Uh, no, it's not putting me on the spot at all, and I'm happy to answer that question. I don't speak with the mayor. He chooses not to speak with me, and in fact, he doesn't meet with half of council. It's been almost two years now during this pandemic that the mayor has refused to have regular meetings with half of city council. So I don't know how you govern through a pandemic, and I think that leadership is about showing up um, and speaking up for people, and that's, I, I'm just not seeing that, and it's really disappointing. Would you do me a favor and keep me posted on this story? I'm filling in for Mike for the rest of the week and all next week. Uh, I certainly want to speak with you and appreciate you being fearless and in, in standing up for those whose voice may not otherwise be heard. Sarah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime I'm keeping in touch with city staff and then we're going to keep pushing. I'm also going to look at seeing if we uh, can update that uh, building bylaw so that those fines are stronger and there's Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods market. Jody Vance with you. A reminder about our Buzzline question today. I'm getting some good emails about it. New Year's resolutions. Are they a yes for you or a no for you? 604-331-BUZZ. 604-331-2899. We'll play your messages at the end of the show today. Lots of people chiming in on their New Year's resolutions. I get a bunch of emails as well. Jody at cknw.com. Jody with a Y at cknw.com is my email address. You can send me them there as well. Some of you are very funny.
I'm glad to have you along on this uh, sort of random holiday day, that time between Christmas and New Year's and and really that time where kids are thinking, not back to school. Well, it's not just kids because students in BC are set to return next week to classes, but teachers are worried about schools hosting potential super spreader events and the union calling for in-person learning to maybe be delayed until January 10th, uh, BCTF president, BC Teachers Federation president, Terry Mooring, was on Mornings with Simi today speaking with Jill Bennett. Here's what Terry Mooring said about what she'd like to see happen. We know how transmissible this virus is. It's very much more transmissible than the Delta variant. And, you know, we're not hearing that children don't get um, Omicron uh, as readily as adults anymore. I mean, it seems like everyone's getting this virus. Uh, So we need to see that. And also about half the districts in the province don't have adequate ventilation. In other words, they don't have MERV-13 filtration, which is the minimum according to the health and safety uh, standards. And so we'd like to see uh, mitigations put in place. Um, And, you know, frankly, teachers cannot be told to open windows when we're in record cold temperatures as well. And so, you know, priority for booster shots, um, that would certainly be helpful. We know that people that are fully vaccinated, and that's 96% of teachers, are still getting Omicron and are still exhibiting symptoms. So we're pretty concerned that there's going to be a lot of uh, students and staff that will have symptoms, that daily health check will be very vital. Um, and we're concerned that we're going to see quite a number of school closures because of lack of, uh, of staff. That is BC Teachers Federation President Terry Mooring when she was speaking with Jill Bennett on Mornings with Simi earlier today. I should flag at this point that Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside will be taking part in today's 3 p.m. public health briefing, uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon. You'll hear it right here on CKNW. Uh, health Minister Adrian Dix, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, as well as Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside, 3 o'clock. Uh, that is destination tuning right here on CKNW. Right now, though, I want to speak with the president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Jatinder Burr is on the line. Thanks for doing this, Jatinder. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you and how are teachers in Surrey feeling about a back to school next week? Uh, so I, I believe that I'm under the weather currently as well. I'm trying to get tested. Uh, and as far as members in Surrey, they are super concerned. So as Dr. Henry has said, we are now in a different pandemic with daily counts far higher than what we've seen before. The situation has changed drastically over the short period of time, but continues to evolve. We are in a dynamic situation. Jatinder, I'm sorry to hear that you're feeling under the weather as uh, you must be quite concerned with that, with a very full plate of, of responsibilities as the president of Surrey's Teachers Association. So I do I, I give you extra thanks for, for appearing on radio with me right now. I can hear it in your voice that, uh, <laughs> that you're feeling under the weather. Um, so how do, we, how do we even begin to unpack this? I mean, when teachers can't come to school because they are symptomatic... Uh, how how will schools continue to function uh, in the weeks to come if we do have a shortage of, of staff? Yeah, and the reality, Jody, is that um, within the system already, 
we don't have enough teachers. When we need substitute teachers, there's not enough to fill in. So we already have a revolving door within the system because of teacher shortage. Now add on to that teachers that will now show either symptoms um, and now they are going to have to take time off. Uh, It's functionally will shut down the system. And so rather than being reactive, here's an opportunity for us to be proactive. Let the teachers be part of the planning on moving forward. Let's start with online learning. Um, Our kids deserve to be safe. They really, that's the bottom line. Our kids deserve to be safe. Our teachers have been doing the best that they can um, from the beginning of this pandemic to where we are today. So having teachers be involved with the process moving forward, uh, what are you hearing from the Surrey Teachers Association, excuse me, with regard to what is the predominant want moving forward? Is it a delayed start from school? Is there a need for even online learning if we push by just, you know, a week or so and ask parents to uh, keep their bubbles extra tight here. Um, Is there one sort of predominant hope that you might hear from Education Minister Whiteside today at three o'clock? I think the biggest thing would be a delay in start, uh, to be honest. A delay in start and let's get boosters into our teachers. In Surrey, we were prioritized because we were the hot house, the hub of uh, the pandemic. We are now trending in the same direction. Let's get us boosters. Let's delay the start. That would be super helpful. So boosters are a big piece of this, but even boosters take some time to kick in. It is a, a two-week window uh, to to get full uh, benefit of that booster dose. So would a two-week delay be ideal, in your opinion? If we want to do it right, and if we really want to look at long-term, then yes, I think that that would be an appropriate thing to do. However, we know that parents have to work. We know yeah. that, you know, like there's, you know, the economy still has to go. Um, but look what's happening in our hospitals. If nothing else, our hospitals are starting to choke. Our nurses are getting sick. Our doctors are getting sick. We are just going to follow the same thing. If we want a system uh, breaker, this is the opportunity to do it. So one question, we're with Jatinder Burr, a president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Jatinder, one thing we've heard from Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry consistently over these past 23 months is how schools are the safest place and space for for children. Uh, That oftentimes their home environment might be more of a petri dish for COVID-19 than being in the school environment. Is there a way to acknowledge or peel back? Did we learn anything in the first year of schools being shut down to be able to identify uh, maybe some students who should have in-school learning? Is there a hybrid model, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Is there a a hybrid alternative to this for those who are frontline healthcare workers who have children who they need their kids in school? I mean, it was certainly done for uh, students with disabilities when we first started with the COVID pandemic. But as you said, Dr. Henry also stated that this is a different pandemic now and that schools are a reflection of the communities that they are in. So knowing that point alone, if we're trending higher and higher, especially on Omicron, people like myself, I haven't been able to get tested yet. So, you know, like there are like, there, there are things in place currently that are barriers. And if we want to do it right, and if we really want, and here's the other thing, Jody, if we look at what's happening down south, um, 
pediatric hospitals are filling up. Kids are yeah. getting sick. As a matter of fact, during this break, I actually um, was babysitting for my sister, who's an RN nurse, so that she could work. I now feel so guilty that perhaps now I've made my nieces sick, too. Yeah. Please don't carry the weight of that because everybody is uh, is happening to the most safe, to the most cautious of people right now. The transmissibility is uh, rampant. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time out, Jatinder. And especially, I mean, you can hear it in your voice. You're certainly under the weather. I hope you have an opportunity to get tested and that you have uh, the ability to isolate and somebody to, to look after you as you're trying to look after the teachers and the students in Surrey. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith and uh, settle in because the next half an hour is something that all Canadians must pay attention to. And lucky for us, we literally have a Canadian treasure uh, on to join us to talk through uh, probably an unexpected subject matter when you find out that our next guest is singer, songwriter, uh, incredible, award-winning, artistic genius that is Jan Arden, also the star of The Jan Show, which if you have not watched, it's streaming on on Crave right now, and you can catch up from season one and laugh your pants off. Uh, no word of a lie, family fun for everyone, and so much to be proud of on The Jan Show as well. But Jan Arden, today you are coming on the program to really, we are here to bang a drum about live horse transports and your mission to stop the disgusting practice that is taking place here in Canada, right on home soil. So I welcome you with all of the beauty of who you are, but I really want to cut to our mission right here on uh, on halting these live transports. Can you set up for us, Jan, what has been happening and what you've been fighting against for years now? Hey, Joey, thanks so much for having me. Um, all of us at the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition appreciate it so much. I came on board uh, this project a couple of years ago. I have been working with horses for well over a decade. I started with the wildies, they called, sort of the basic, the wild horses on the eastern slopes in Alberta. They also have them in B.C. and in Saskatchewan, right across Canada. And, of course, the government uh, rounded them up and still continues to round them up every <laughs> every year or so and culls them, and they go to the slaughter. So from that, I springboarded into this thing. My vet, Judith Sampson French, who I love so much, she said, I don't know if you knew about this, but you know, there's a bunch of people that have, since 2006, been trying to stop uh, huge transport planes like Korean Air, uh, some a few other airlines. FedEx originally was in the mix, too, of flying large draft horses, 17 hands high, picture standing, next to a horse where your head does not come up to their shoulders. Picture the Budweiser horses. They put yeah. four, of them, four of them at a time into a wooden crate. They're loaded onto the belly of a giant aircraft. They're flown. It takes, it's a two-day journey in these crates to get them to a small island off of Japan, one of the small islands in Japan, and they are slaughtered and used for raw bashimi, which is horse sushi, which is why they like the big musculature. So... The company that brought it up here, slaughter, the, the live transport of horses was banned in the United States in 2006. So a company called Shorno came up from the Northwest United States and they planted themselves here in Alberta. And they have giant feedlots here that you can almost see from space. Uh, thousands of horses standing up to crap up to their elbows. 
fed by giant trucks that spew sludge into troughs and go by. They have no human contact. They have no comfort. They have no veterinary care. There's, there's no regulations. They're not checked upon. These guys have gotten away with this crap for 16 years. Um, you know, hundreds, thousands of horses have gone out of this country, uh, flown to Japan under extraordinarily terrifying conditions. And so that is the drum we have been banging, Jody, is to stop the live export of horses to Japan. Um, imagine filling out a, a FedEx slip. This is what they were doing in 2006. And FedEx quickly, and I want to clap and applaud FedEx, they said, there's no way we're going to ever do this again. It's unethical. It's immoral. And um, I think they were so blindsided when they first were, were flying horses over there. I don't think they realized what they were flying them to. Right. And Jen, heading up to the election that was called mid-pandemic uh, by Justin Trudeau's Liberals, within the campaign, was it not promised that this would end if yes, a little, a little bit of good, a little bit of good news, and we all like hearing good news stories. Yes, We've please. gotten a lot yes. of traction, a lot of traction in the last eighteen months. We had over eighty thousand Canadians sign a petition that was sponsored by Nathaniel Erskine, who's yep. an MP, a Liberal MP here in Canada, and he is such a, a um, an unbelievable advocate for animal welfare. Uh, Canada has some of the worst animal welfare laws in the G7. I'll just throw that out on your table as well. Worst animal welfare laws in the G7. So people need to savor that because we think that Canada is just this, oh, we do everything so great and we just treat animals so great. We have some of the worst transport laws on the planet. Um, But anyway, what happened is we were all shocked two weeks before the election uh, was to take place. Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party, they put their mandate out, you know, to the press. And in a very small little line on the bottom of some animal welfare things, banning live horse export was in the mandate. So now we have the Liberal government's attention. Now, uh, most Canadians are asking, now what do we do? Well, we're not sure. It has to get tabled in the House of Commons. So Marie-Claude Bibot, who is the Minister of Agriculture, has long sent out these drab, boring, effing letters to people saying it is all, you know, very up and up and everything's good mm-hmm. and the horses want to go and it's, mm-hmm. it's all done, all that crap. But now her prime minister has asked her to stop live exports. So, you know, I, I'm hoping we can keep the pressure up. Uh, the WW horses hit. Use your imagination because I'm saying this on the radio. So I love w- you. Our www.horseshit.ca. <laughs> You're brilliant. Um, thank you. You can go on there and you can click a button, Jody, that sends a direct message to Ms. Bobo um, to, you know, to, to keep the pressure up, to let her know that Canadians don't want this and Canadians don't want this. 90% of the people that we reached out to in the last 24 months are like, we had no idea this was happening. No idea. Anybody who loves horses, Jen, and as you mentioned off the top, you love horses. We're with Jan Arden, that Jan Arden. Yes, that Canadian treasure. <laughs> putting your, putting your uh, platform behind this, I think, is so vital. But anybody who knows and loves horses, I'm a horse person myself. I cannot imagine having a horse left tied 
for two days to a spot, never mind plunked in a crate with three others, uh, incapable of moving and in just a constant state of terror in the name of expensive sashimi at the other end of, of a long journey. Uh, it's a no brainer to go to horses hit. If you write it all down, you'll see what the actual word yeah. is. Horseshit.ca is brilliant. And there's a nice big pink button that says contact your member of parliament mm-hmm. here. If we all do it, if we just all take a moment to go to horseshit.ca, click that button and be a part of what stops this. Yeah. It's we- a sinister part of Canadian agriculture. You know, you're only as good as the worst guy in your band which is always me. But, you know, this is, we should be leading the way. Canada is one of the biggest suppliers of horse meat on the planet. And, you know, millions and millions of horses died for us during the First and Second World War, many wars throughout history. They got us to our homes. They've comforted us. They're comfort animals. And they're terrified. A lot of these horses die in these flights. Imagine being turbulence on these overseas flights. Uh, They often are standing in those crates for up to 48 hours, those people will lie and tell you that's not the case. It is the case. I've been to many loads at the Calgary airport. They are foaming at the mouth. They sound weird. They're making weird noises. They're kicking these crates. They're crapping all over each other. Uh, they're in with horses they don't know. Imagine being stuck in an elevator that you don't know. Horses team up. They stay with their groups. They're separated out. They're, they're put in these crates. No water, no food. We can do better. We need we to can do better. Do better. Let's let's do yeah. it together, Jen. I, I mean, like yeah. honestly, anybody listening right now, make that something that you do to cap off this crazy year, so that in 2022 we can end live horse transport oh, in Canada. Yeah. Let's end it together, Jen. Thank you for all that you do. Thank honestly, you, Jody. I want to talk to you another time, maybe about your show and how much I love it, how much everybody loves it, how brilliant you are, your music, everything that you do and following you on social media is, is a gift. So I thank you for all of that and so much more, Jan. Well, look after yourself. Here's to a, a, an adventure filled 2022. Everybody stay patient, uh, be vigilant, get vaccinated, get boosted. Yes. Um, um, and, uh, it's anyways, we'll get there. We'll get there. Thank you so much, Jody.